0: It was an early August morning, and I was getting ready to teach my class for TCM in, in Minsk, Belarus, <clears throat> and suddenly the silence of the morning was uh, was broken by the sound of bells, uh, and not just a bell, but bells all over the city, church bells ringing. I don't know how to describe it, but there is just this soothing sound of bells ringing all over the city. It, it's such a different sound than horns and sirens which sound chaotic, but the bells sounded so encouraging and uplifting. That's what bells are. I remember staying overnight with my grandparents occasionally, and on Sunday morning maybe somebody would let me ring the church bell to call people to worship on Sunday morning. Such a pleasing sound. Uh, You know, the ice cream truck came down the street with a bell, not with a horn blaring. You know, it was just that invitation to come and get ice cream. And uh, we have doorbells, not door horns. Uh, a doorbell announces the arrival of a welcome guest and sometimes a not-so-welcomed guest. But nevertheless, it's a pleasant sound. So I got to my class, and, and I, I didn't know why the bells were ringing. <clears throat> and so I said, why are the bells going off this morning? They gave me one of those kind of incredulous looks and said, you don't know. And I said, no, I don't know. And they said, today is the day we celebrate the transfiguration of Christ. I tried to explain to them in the Western church, we don't really set aside a day to celebrate that, and then I began to wonder, why don't we study this story more? Why isn't this story more impactful in our lives than it is? And that evening, I was asked to uh, speak uh, for the church service that was in commemoration of the Transfiguration. Now, folks, in the Eastern churches, Whenever they have a worship service, they have three preachers speak, three sermons. I don't want to hear any grumbling anymore about listening to one. It was a marvelous time, and it reminded me of this unique event. And so every time August rolls around, I'm reminded of the transfiguration of Christ. As a matter of fact, the Eastern churches will be celebrating that this week on Tuesday, August the 6th. Now, I'm not suggesting that we suddenly have a special holiday to mark the event. That sounds a little bit like what Peter said. Lord, let's build three shelters here, one for each one of you. But I am suggesting that we take time to learn from this summit experience that which is so often overlooked in our study of the life of Christ. It really does deserve our attention. And the bells that rang on that morning in Minsk to announce it were most appropriate because they were bells that were ringing out encouragement and That's what this story is all about. It's all about encouragement. Now, we're not certain exactly what mountain summit this occurred on. A lot of scholars think it was uh, on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon was the northernmost point of the Promised Land, as spelled out in the book of Deuteronomy. And Mount Hermon in Hebrew, its name means consecrated or sacred. What, What an appropriate place for such an event to occur. May have been there, may not have been It's not so much which mountain, but the fact that it happened on a mountaintop that is important. And so Jesus takes along with him three of his closest friends and disciples, this inner circle of the disciples, Peter, James, and John. Those three were the only three that had been with him inside the house when he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. Those three would be the only three that He would take with Him into the inner part of the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before the cross and ask them to pray with Him. Those three were the only ones that went up onto the mountaintop that night, not having any clue what they were about to experience. This is no small moment. The first three gospel accounts recorded, The synoptics all tell us the story. Some have even suggested that the transfiguration – Is the most important event in the life of Christ between his birth and the week leading up to his death and resurrection. You see, Jesus was never closer to his divine nature in this life than when he was on that mountaintop, Mount Hermon. The hour is late, it's dark. Jesus is praying. The disciples, (laughs) they're sleeping. I so appreciate the writers of the Gospels, including that detail. This old body is weak in some of the most magnificent spiritual moments. There's always this battle between the physical and the spiritual, isn't it? I don't know, sometimes a, a, a sermon, a service is, is a battle for some of you. I, I can see you fighting the sleep. Others of you just come in and, and you surrender the moment you hit the pew. Yeah, it, but there's always this battle between the physical weariness and the spiritual moment that is taking place. And suddenly, while they're asleep, everything changes. Jesus is transformed in the most indescribable way. His face and clothes are whiter than white. His face radiates. It doesn't reflect. It radiates light. It's like a blade of lightning has sliced through the sky and frozen in time. It's like thousands of camera flashes going off continuously in the dark of night. The brightness was overwhelming, and not only does his face shine, but it looked like his clothes were radiating. Now, they weren't. It was his nature, his glory that even made the clothes appear to be radiating light. It was him that was radiating in the light that passed right through the clothes. What's going on, you say? It is as if his divine nature for these few moments has eclipsed his humanity, and the disciples get a glimpse of of who he really is. Now, this should not have surprised them. In John chapter 8, this is what we read. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In chapter 9, he says the same thing again. He'd been saying over and over again, I am the light of the world. But now, they saw it differently. I mean, now they had witnessed it. John writes in his letter to the church, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he said, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. Not God is like light or God is a reflection of light. No, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. When the Israelites who had been freed from their Egyptian captivity came up out of land and they built this portable worship tent called the tabernacle on the day that the first worship service was held, God's glory, his light came down and filled the place and it was overwhelming to the people. When Moses spent 40 days on the mountaintop receiving the 10 commandments of the law, he came down and his face glowed because he'd been in the presence of the light. And it reflected from him until it slowly faded away. But on this night, this is no reflection of the glory of God. This is the glory of God because Jesus is none other than God in the flesh. I think this night profoundly impacted John who opens up his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then listen to, in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John's thinking of that night, we saw it. He's not just a representative of God. He's not just a priest of God. He's not just a prophet of God. He is God, I saw the light. John had been an eyewitness. Paul was also an eyewitness. Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when a blinding light struck him blind, and it was Jesus. Peter never forgot this experience. As Peter wound down his life writing to the church in his last letter, Peter writes these words. We have not followed cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter never forgot these moments. The transfiguration reminds us there is no one in all of history, in all of the universe, like Jesus Christ. He really is the one and only. And I want to know is he the one and only spiritual leader in your life and heart this morning? I believe when we understand that Jesus is the light of the world, it changes us too. You, you see, this, this walk with Jesus Christ ought to shape our everyday life. It, it's, it's not about, folks, what you do inside these walls. It's not about what you do just when you pray. This is who we are. We are in the light. When, when John wrote in his letter that God is light, the very next verse, now listen to this, goes like this. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness... We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, purifies us from all sin. You're not in darkness. Don't act and live like you are. You walk with the light of the world. Huh. How would you act differently this morning if everything you said did And thought was exposed to everybody around you. What if your spouse knew what you were thinking? Would it change the way you think? What if your boss knew how you wasted time on the job? Would it it change how you work? What if your closest friends knew your innermost secrets, the ones that you try to keep hidden that you don't want anybody to know? Would it change how you live? Do you not realize this morning, folks, That the God of the universe, the God that spoke us into existence, the God who is the light of the world, hears what you say, sees what you do, knows what you think every moment of the day. Shouldn't that change how we live? We're not in darkness, we're in His light. And if the overwhelming light wasn't enough, when Peter, James, and John woke up, there stood Moses and Elijah, two of the most significant men from the Old Testament. They almost missed it because they were asleep, which is a good reminder. It's risky to sleep in church. You might miss something important in your life. Now, I think it's kind of difficult for us to relate to this very moment, but just pretend for a second, what would happen this morning to your somewhat ah, easy, restful moment if George Washington and Abraham Lincoln suddenly stood here on either side of it? You think you might be a little bit more energized? You think you might move to the edge of the pew? What what in the world is, how could this be? Better yet, what if it was the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul that stood next to me this morning, told me to take a seat, and then they finished the sermon? I bet you'd really listen to that one, wouldn't you? You'd not go home after church and say, well, the service was kind of average today. No, you'd be talking about that the rest of your life. Do you remember the Sunday that, I don't know how it happened? They were there. So Peter, James, and John are looking on in utter amazement. And why these two? Why Moses and Elijah? Well, there's probably several reasons. Uh, One of them is that Moses represented the law, Elijah represented the prophets, the two ways that God communicated truth to his people before Jesus came. Both had experienced a similar moment on the summit of Mount Sinai. Both had been exposed to the glory of God and glimpsed his, his radiance. Both had experienced great mountaintop victories. The law on the mountaintop and the battle with the prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel for Elijah. Both had built worship altars to God using 12 stones for the 12 tribes. Both had escaped from wicked kings. Both had experienced discouragement in their ministries and both had experienced unique deaths. Moses died on the mountaintop and God buried him. Elijah went home to heaven in a fiery chariot. Now, think about that. These two understood what Jesus was going through perhaps better than anybody else. And, and can I add a side note? This is a rabbit trail. Let me go down a rabbit trail for just a second. God is so good. Remember two weeks ago, John preached on the fact that um, Moses didn't get to enter the land of promise because of striking the rock. And, and so he got to see the land of promise, but didn't get to go into the land of promise until now. Moses didn't cross the Jordan to get into the promised land, but he crossed time and existence to stand on Mount Hermon in the promised land. After all of those years, God says, Moses, go encourage my son. You will set foot in the promised land. God is so good, even with the little details in our lives. Why did they come? Simply to encourage Jesus Christ, who was about to experience the toughest mountain he would ever climb in his life, Mount Calvary. They were uniquely qualified. They understood pain, discouragement, frustration, but they knew what the end result would be. Peter is so excited and he's so frightened all in the same breath that that he just feels like something needs to be said. (laughs) And so as these men were leaving, Jesus, Peter said to them, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. Now, I love Luke's editorial comment there. He puts it in parentheses. He didn't have a clue what he was saying is basically how this goes. Have you ever been there? You're in a setting, and it seems like there's a a gap in the conversation. You feel like something needs to be said, so you open your mouth before you engage your brain, and you say something that you wished you hadn't said because you just thought, somebody's got to say something. I've been there. I've done that. You can't use your mouth as much as I do in ministry and not be there on a number of occasions. I think I still hold the award at St. Louis Christian College for the dumbest question ever asked in psychology class. I've not been informed that the award has been given to anybody else since then. We were in a a discussion that day on twins. I don't remember what I was really asking, but before I thought, the question came out like this, are identical twins of the same sex? They're identical. I mean, you know, what's hard to understand about that? The class wasn't the same for the rest of the period. I still hold that award. (laughs) President Calvin Coolidge said, four-fifths of all of our troubles would disappear if we would only sit down and keep still. Or to put it another way, it's better to remain silent and let people think you're dumb than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. (laughs) You see, Sometimes, you just soak in the moment. You don't have to say something. I think what Peter was trying to accomplish there was, I, I think he was saying, I don't want this moment to end. I mean, this was a literal and a figurative mountaintop experience for all three of them. And isn't it true, when you hit a mountaintop experience in your life, you don't want that moment to end. Christmas Day, when you get, got, when you get the gift that you wanted all year long, when the examiner hands you your driver's license for the first time and you get behind the wheel as a licensed driver, when you switch the tassel from one side to the other to let people know that you've graduated, when the preacher says, I now pronounce you husband and wife, when you hold your child in your arms for the first time in the delivery room, When you hear your grandchild call you by a name that you never dreamed of and you love it the minute you hear it. Mountaintop moments. We don't ever want to come down. they're, They're wonderful moments. They're exquisite moments. But the truth of the matter is this. Mountaintop moments wouldn't be mountaintop moments if you stayed on the mountain all the time. What makes them mountaintop moments is that they are interspersed throughout our life as flashes and glimpses and moments of encouragement. You see, real life is not lived on the mountaintops, it's lived at the foot of the mountains and in the valleys. I'm not even sure we were made for the mountaintops or for the sunrises or the sunsets. Those are the inspirational moments, the encouraging times that come along like rainbows after the storm. God created us to live out and survive the tough times and the difficult moments in the valley. That's where the victory victories lie. Anyone can look good standing on a summit. It's how you look when you're facing the moments of your life that are tough in the valleys that your faith grows most and you are most inspirational to others. Could it be that the message of Moses and Elijah to Jesus that day was simply this? The greatest glory comes through the suffering, not instead of it. And may I suggest to you that it is in the toughest times of your life and the most difficult moments that you face that the glory of God comes through brightest. The true test of our Christian character is being able to descend from the mountaintop with as much joy as when we journeyed up. And then when it seemed like nothing else could happen, the moment is eclipsed by the very voice of God. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus said, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. You see, some things need to fit in the right order. This moment would not make sense until everything had come to pass. The very voice of God. It's like God puts bookends on the life of His Son Jesus at His baptism in the valley. He said, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. At the end on the mountaintop, He said, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. You see, this was about encouraging Jesus, and you say, "Well, okay, if it was about encouraging Jesus, then what can I learn from this?" Ah, there's some great lessons to learn. Let me give you just three quickly. Don't go through this life alone. Don't go through this life alone. Jesus had his quiet times, as we all need to have our quiet times, but he surrounded himself with disciples into whom he could pour his life and from whom. He could derive his friendship and encouragement in the tough moments of his life. If Jesus understood the value of relationships and didn't try to go through this life alone, what makes you think you'll make it alone? You won't. So don't try. Malcolm Gladwell writes about a man by the name of Christopher Langan, whose IQ was a staggering 195. Now, to put that into perspective, Einstein's uh, IQ was uh, supposedly 150. 195. He he was off the charts. He could ace any foreign language test by skimming the textbook two to three minutes before the exam. He got a perfect score on the SAT test and fell asleep during the test before he finished. He never did anything exceptional with his life ended up working on a horse farm out west. Now, there's nothing wrong with working on a horse farm. I don't, I don't mean that. It's just that with an exceptional mind like that, couldn't you do something to change this world? He didn't do anything because he was a loner. He always tried to do it by himself. And Gladwell summarizes the story with this one sentence. Langan had to make his way alone, and no one, not rock stars, not professional athletes, not software billionaires, not even geniuses, ever makes it alone. You won't either. Jesus didn't try. That's why you need the church and why the church needs you, because we don't want to do this alone. Here's something else. Let others help you when you're facing tough times. I think sometimes we forget how important encouragement is. From beyond the grave, Moses and Elijah come to help prepare Jesus for the toughest of his moments. Does it surprise you this morning to know that Jesus needed encouragement? Everybody needs encouragement from time to time. Encouraging your coworkers and employees with appreciation is the focus of a recent new book entitled The Carrot Principle. Based on a 10-year study that interviewed 200,000 people. Authors Gostick and Elton concluded that appreciation, the encouragement of appreciation tops the list of things employees say they want from their bosses. Encouragement, appreciation tops the list. The church can take a lesson about encouragement. Of all places, this ought to be the place of greatest encouragement. Someone said, encouragement is oxygen to the soul. I like this one, too. Man does not live on bread alone. Sometimes he needs a little buttering up. Would you keep in mind, folks, that a pat on the back is only inches away from a kick in the pants, but it's light years ahead in results. I believe the church should be known as the greatest source of encouragement. After all, my greatest encouragement comes from Christ. Yours must, too. You may never know when your words your helping hand, your assistance, your prayers today may lift up someone else's life, may encourage someone else's life to help them get through the trial they face tomorrow. Here's the last thing. Stay focused on what really matters. If we're not careful, we'll we'll end up being like Peter, and, and we'll get all hung up on the fact that Elijah and Moses are here. Let's build three shelters. Peter missed the point. This moment in time was not about honoring all three of these men as if somehow they were all equals. They weren't. Jesus was the supreme in that moment. And it wasn't about preserving the place on the mountaintop as if someday we'll come back up here and we'll have real worship if we come back to this place, because it wouldn't make them any closer to God there than any place else. It was about recognizing the true nature of Jesus Christ. This moment was all about Him. It was God the Father that responded to Peter's words. This is my Son. Listen to Him. And I would say that to you today. There is no one greater. Listen to Him. Peter did say one thing that was really worth saying. Lord, it is good for us to be here today. It is always good to be in the presence of God. Let him be the light of your life. Let him illuminate the path that you walk. Let his truth shine light on the decisions and the choices you make. Make sure he is the light of your life. And make sure that you always listen to him. His is the only voice that matters. The world is full of pretenders, folks. There's only one light of the world. And it's always good to be in his presence. You'll now and never be transfigured in this life like Jesus. But we can be transformed by Jesus.